Hello my friends, welcome back to Garda Goes Geek. On today's episode, I just wanted to do a quick little review of a film that I realised I haven't talked about yet, um, but I seem to have some thoughts that differ with the majority opinion, and so I wanted to kind of explain why. And that film is Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Now, there's been a lot of talk recently, um, especially in the wake of some of Marvel's recent offerings, and especially with what's happened with The Flash um, as it made its way to cinemas, that perhaps the superhero bubble has finally burst um, for, you know, the idea of comic book superhero movies. And... I've spoken before about how I think the whole bubble bursting is a ridiculous idea. It, it, these characters have been around for decades. They're not going anywhere. Even in films, they've been around for at least two decades now. Um, you know, that's just since X-Men. That's not counting Superman and Batman throughout the 70s and 90s. <laughs> but besides that point, um, there also seems to be the the common theory that a lot of Marvel's recent offerings have been quite poor and, you know, have been looked on quite poorly by a lot of the Disney management. For example, Bob Iger has made some statements recently about how Marvel has been quite unfocused. There's been reports about how um, how Perlmutter and Bob Iger are taking more of an active approach inside Marvel Studios as a result of um as a result of sort of poor performance. Um not that any of the films have performed badly per se. Like Quantumania, Love and Thunder, Multiverse of Manus, they all made a decent amount of money. They just didn't necessarily make as much as previous Marvel movies had. And, you know, but they've all made back their budget and considering you know, everything that's been going on in the past few years. I mean, you know, COVID is still having a very big impact on the film industry. Um, and, you know, there's a a very good post I saw on Twitter recently where someone pointed out that a lot of Hollywood likes to use what's called creative accounting, where it's like they can spin a story no matter how well or how badly a film performs, they can spin it to say, oh, it was a great debut, or oh, it was underwhelming, or oh, this didn't make enough money. You know, something like, for example, Indiana Jones' Dial of Destiny, which has recently come out. Um, you know, the Dial of Destiny had a really good, a really strong opening, considering a lot of recent films. However, because of the budget that that film has that opening has been spun really badly like in the in the media it's been spun as a really disappointing opening and it's like yeah it probably kind of is in terms of the budget of the film but maybe they also overspent on that budget because you know if you look at it in contrast to a lot of other modern movies that have released recently that amount of money that it's made is perfectly respectable and in fact, you know, something that some films like The Flash would have killed for. <laughs> so, you know, um, it's a bit hit and miss. There's a lot of creative accounting in um, 
Hollywood. I think this is also part of the reason why we now have SAG-AFTRA on strike alongside the Writers Guild um, for the first time in 60 years. And I might do a separate uh, podcast piece on that as that develops. Um, but, you know, the, the industry keeps changing. And, you know, people say, oh, or, you know, movies are being impacted by things that are going on. And then, you know, you know, the cost of living crisis that's affecting people, people aren't going to the cinema, you know, or, or it's like superhero fatigue or, or whatever. And it's like, yes, a lot of the recent Marvel offerings have been quite muddled. I've even said that as, as much as I've enjoyed a lot of them and I like what they're going for. I don't always think it works. You know, for example, Thor love and thunder. I think, you know, I was, I was on board with that. I was on board with the comedy. I was on board with what it was trying to do, but comparing it to the comics, there's still a lot of missed potential there. Um, you know, the, the actual, god killer story arc that is based on from the mighty thor or you know the whole jane foster mighty thor run that's a great arc in the comics i love it and there's a lot of the the gravitas and the pathos in that comic that's completely missing in the film but the film also wasn't trying to capture that so i was okay with what we got but i can agree that with a lot of people who, you know, if people turn around to me and say, oh, they hated Love and Thunder, I can understand why. I disagree with you. Um, you know, what what you find didn't work about it, for me, worked. I get what I got what they were going for. But, you know. But then, recently, we've had two films that have kind of proven that, no, superheroes aren't going anywhere. They're here to stay. And that's specifically been Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which I have yet to see. I've heard amazing things about it, and I have yet to see it. I just have not had the time. Um, I really want to. <laughs> really, really want to go see it. Um, but I have not had the time to go and see it yet. And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Both of these films did really well with critics and audiences and made a lot of money. And are still making a lot of money. I think they're both still out in the cinemas. Um, you know, something like Flash is coming out to home home release and home streaming very, very soon. But Guardians, I think, is still in cinemas and still making money, as is Spider-Verse. So, yeah. However, the general consensus that I saw off of the back of a lot of the reporting and a lot of the reviews... Um, when these two films broke and, and did really well. And even a lot of discussion in the zeitgeist, not just in terms of what's coming from reviewers, was that Marvel were back and superhero media was back and this film is amazing and spectacular and ticks all the boxes. And I'm not to say it's not great. It is a good film. But I also don't agree with a lot of the things that people were saying as some of the best moments in it, if that makes sense. Like a lot of the things that people were praising, um, 
I think were things that I I, I still had some problems with. <laughs> you know, is it one of the best Marvel movies in years? Depends how you know, as as people are claiming. Yeah, that probably depends on what your definition of years is. Like, if you're talking the past three phases, uh, you, you know, if you're talking the, the past three years, like since COVID, or maybe, but we've also had No Way Home, which was, I think was spectacular, um, or Wakanda Forever, which again, I think was spectacular. So, you know, is it better than Eternals, Love and Thunder, Black Widow? Yeah, definitely. Does it hit the heights of some of the others? Maybe not. So, um, and you know, it deserves what it's getting. It deserves the praise it's getting. But I don't think, I, th I think the film still has issues and problems. And I'm going to get into those and explain why and what I think are the issues. Now, these are minor issues and some of them are probably nitpicks on my part. But they're just things that I don't think worked for me as much as the, as much as so much of this film worked for me. Like there are things that I've seen almost universally praised, but for me, kind of drag this down. And yeah, I want to discuss that. I will just say one little thing before I get into the film as well. I do think it's it's interesting that this film has had such a a long history to get back to the screen. Um, I mean, part of it was obviously due to um, COVID, but also there was the, you know, the firing and rehiring of James Gunn. Like, I get the feeling this was meant to be out a lot earlier. Um, and obviously wasn't because, you know, James Gunn being fired, then going to work at DC, working on the Suicide Squad, what, Suicide Squad, working on Peacemaker, then coming back to Marvel. You know, that's definitely had an impact. And, th and there were things like, apparently there was a scene for Guardians 3, like one of the reshoot scenes for Guardians 3 that was shot by DC while he was working on the Suicide Squad. And then there was a part of um, Peacemaker, like the post credit scene for Peacemaker with, uh, not post credits even, like the final season scene with Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller reprising their roles as Aquaman and the Flash. That was shot on the, the Marvel Studios lot um, while filming Guardians 3. I just thought that was a nice little interesting bit, little twist of fate. Um, but yeah, I, I mean... The whole James Gunn being fired and rehired story is, it's awful. I kind of missed the boat on that because I wasn't making this content back then. Like, by the time I started my podcast, James Gunn had already been rehired. Um, one thing I do find interesting, though, is because of the way the Marvel Universe has worked in terms of how interconnected it is, it doesn't feel like it has been the six years that it has since Guardians 2 because we have seen these characters a lot more often. Like, for contrast, by the time um, 
by the time Aquaman 2 comes out at the end of this year, we won't have seen Arthur Curry Aquaman properly since, um, you know, the first Aquaman movie, which was December 2018. You know, that's a long gap. You know, yes, he's been in cameos. He's got a cameo in Peacemaker. He's got a cameo in The Flash. And obviously there was the, the, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League in the middle there as well. But we haven't seen that character in years properly. With the Guardians, even though we've also had the holiday special, which, by the way, was fantastic as well. Like, that was really, really good. And I like that there was no villain. Like, it avoided a lot of the the, the standard Marvel trappings. And I really hope they do more of these special presentations. Because so far, Werewolf by Night and the holiday special have been absolutely fantastic. So, more of those from Marvel, please. You know, because the rumour is that Bob Iger apparently wants to cut down on those. And I'm like, hell no, keep those going. <laughs> you know, if anything, scale some of your other shows into these special presentations. They'd be much better. Like, you know, I'm sure... I mean, I've not seen Echo, but at the same time, I don't necessarily need to see a six-episode series on Echo. You know, and and from what I've seen of Secret Invasion as well, that could have been like a two-hour film done as a special presentation. It didn't need to be a whole full series. So, you know, more of the special presentations perhaps and less of the... Yeah, less of the uh, the full series. But anyway, that's a discussion for another time. But... Yeah, the, the, between the holiday special and Thor Love and Thunder and obviously Infinity War and Endgame, we have seen these characters several times. And not just the main guardians like Kraglin, Cosmo. We've been reintroduced to them. This is the first time we're seeing this new Gamora since Avengers Endgame. Um, you know, where we, you know, we, we lost the original Gamora in Infinity War. But we are aware of what's happened to these characters. Like, we know that the Guardians have ended up taking over nowhere because we saw that in the holiday special. We know that they were touring the galaxy with Thor for a bit and, you know, that they've bonded a lot as characters and that Groot has been growing up. But, you know, we've seen the introduction of Cosmo and things like that. All of this has happened in previous stuff that we've seen. So there's a lot that this movie doesn't need to introduce because it's already been introduced. It's already been covered elsewhere, which means that the story of this movie can get more, more involved with its own story threads because it's not spending a lot of the time catching us up. Like, there are elements of this story that I don't think would be here if this was the first time we'd seen the Guardian's since Guardians 2. You know, I mean, for starters, we probably wouldn't have lost Gamora. But the, all of the team would have been in a completely different place. Now, that said, there are some plot threads here that have... that are building up directly from things in Guardians 2. Like, for example, the return of Aisha and Adam Warlock. Um, and they're quite interesting. But, you know, I think Adam Warlock, while very threatening, is... And, and quite 
comical in some respects because he, he's still very young and learning. You know, he, they're not the main antagonists. They're working for the main antagonist, who is high evolutionary. Now, the high evolutionary um, played by um, Chukwudi Iwuji, um he is he is being universally praised and quite rightly so i think he's done a fantastic role with the character i think the character is someone that we want to hate like this is the first villain that i think the mcu has who has, has been just out and out evil like for a while like, we despise this guy. You you really want to hate this guy. And they do a really good job of convincing you to hate him um, by showing you his origins with Rocket. And some of that stuff is heartrending, but also beautiful, uh, but also brutal as hell in some ways. Like, there are elements of that backstory with Rocket and um, his other animals that is so disturbing so brutal to watch and i kind of like that they didn't shy away from that and and they they showed how dark some of those things are but it does mean that you know this is one that maybe you can't watch with your youngest kids. If your youngest kids are fans of like Groot and Rocket and Drax and Star Lord and Nebula and all the others, don't watch this one with them for a while. You know, stick with the holiday special. Wait until they're a bit older, then watch this one. You know, because yeah, some parts of this are bleak and hard to watch. Like, even as an adult, they're hard to watch. There is this... The high evolutionary is brutal. And and by design. And, and not just brutal, like, callously cruel. Um, and, you know, this is what's being praised. And, you know, the actor has done a fantastic role. The character is very dark, very evil. Um... And just loathsome in all regards. But even with all that being said, there is one major aspect of him as a villain that really I really struggle with. And that is that he feels a lot of the time Like he is incapable, like he is out of control. And that undermines the threat from him. Because don't get me wrong, he is threatening. Like his demeanor, his persona, and his actions show that he is a clear threat. However, a lot of that threat and malice, I think is undercut really dramatically by some of his actions. 
And one of the major actions that I think undercuts it a lot is how he acts when he loses control. He's very emotional. And, you know, emotions are not a weakness, not at all. But his emotions come about in a way that makes him almost unhinged. He shouts and screams at other characters. And it makes it feel like he has lost control of the situation and makes it makes him a lot harder to take seriously. Um which you know for me is I mean you can have a villain do this. You can have a villain lose control and shout and scream. Um, and still be very threatening. And I do think he is a threat still. But it also can make him really hard for me to take seriously at some points. Like, some parts where he is just... dripping with malice. But the malice is directed to everyone around him, including his allies, to the point that his allies turn on him towards the end of the movie... You know, the, the, the sort of the callous disregard he has for, like, this whole planet that he created. He created Counter-Earth, created this whole planet full of, you know, defined people that we see existing. And he just callously destroys them. And it's like, that's cold. You know, he just completely destroys a whole planet, like a mass genocide. I don't... I don't get why that was included in the film for any other reason than to make him threatening, to show that this is just the apathy that he has. But it's like, that apathy and callousness doesn't translate with the way he acts around Rocket and how he acts around the, Gal the Guardians. Because he's so passionate about them. And specifically around getting Rocket back. He's so passionate about that to the point that he loses control. And it reminds me a bit of how in the Star Wars sequel trilogy, how they had Kylo Ren throw these like tantrums. And people mocked that really rightly. You know, like the the bit where someone gives him bad news and then he just takes the lightsaber out and starts smashing, you know, um, a console to pieces. But there's elements of this that feel like that. They feel like him throwing a tantrum. And I've not really seen anyone comment on it. And I'm like, did this? Is this just bothering me? As everyone else, is it? Is it not bothering anyone else? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, but it bothers me, and it takes me out of it, and it makes him not as threatening in certain respects as perhaps I feel that he should be. Because the High Evolutionary is a great villain. And this is a very, very different version of the High Evolutionary from the comic, and I'm so here for it. Like, I really am. It's a really good version. Um, 
And yeah, there's and yeah, he's he's detestable and one of the most interesting villains that we've had in the MCU for a long time, and someone that there is no sympathy for. Like, I have no sympathy for the High Evolutionary in the way that I might have sympathy for Thanos, Killmonger, even Kang, you can have an element of sympathy for, to some respects. The High Evolutionary? No. No, he's awful. Get rid of him. And... You know, it works. And the, the backstory, oh, with, with Rocket and his compatriots, absolutely heartrending. Like, the, the scream that Rocket lets out when Lila is killed, and Floor begging him to leave. Oh, that, that was one of the most powerful scenes in the whole film for me. And I knew from the trailers, when I saw the trailers for this, I was like, I deliberately stayed away from a lot of them because I knew after that first trailer that this film was going to make me cry because Rocket made me cry in the second one. And if, in fact, if anything, the, the one of the really annoying things about this is because of how good of a character Rocket is and how integral he has been in previous films especially guardians 2 but also um endgame as well it felt it felt sad to me that that rocket was kind of sidelined for a lot of this i don't know he's sidelined in a way that we can you know because he's being used as the plot device like the others are trying to rescue him. And that's a great motivation for someone like Quill. Because, you know, Quill and Rocket have done nothing but bicker throughout most of the past two films. And showing in this one that, like, Quill is like, no, I'm going to do whatever it takes to save my friend. That was lovely. And, you know... <sighs> And how that brings other people into their, their orbit. Um, you know, if for example, how there's a real change in the relationship here between like Quill and Nebula as well. Like Nebula is shown as being really caring to Quill. And I think, you know, they both lost Gamora. You know, and they tease with some elements of them kind of flirting and almost kind of... Like, perhaps there could be something there between them. I really hope they don't ever go down that road. I really like them as friends, rather than anything else. But it's nice to have seen that that relationship has cooled so dramatically between them. But yeah, the the, the fact the Rocket is kind of sidelined for a lot of this, and our only real experience of him as the character for a lot of this is through the flashbacks. You know, that... I get why they've done it, but again, Rocket's one of my favourite characters, so sidelining him for so much of this movie. Although, when he does come back, oh my god, it's amazing. Like, the 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 battle in the hallway, 
where the camera's moving around between them. That's really good. Um, you know, that was, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, there's there's some really good moments in here. I think maybe Adam's turn, Adam's face turn happens quite quickly. Um, you know, which is a shame. I think maybe some more time could have been developed on that. Um, I think Gamora is just a bit too harsh in some respects. Like, she is mean in a way that I don't think even the first film's Gamora was. Like, she doesn't feel like a time-travelled version of Gamora necessarily. She feels like a completely different character. Like, almost like a parallel timeline version of Gamora. She's very, very different. And that's quite hard to watch at some points as well, because it, it doesn't feel like Gamora. If anything, she feels like a more emotional version of Nebula, in a lot of respects. Um, and Quill's depression as well, it, it kind of feels like we kind of tackled some of this before in the holiday special. Not that you can get over depression immediately. You can't. Like, I understand that. Like, it's hard, you know. But... I don't know. There's... While I like this film, I really do, and I think there's a lot of good here, and I'm very much looking forward to it coming out and streaming so I can watch it again. I do have issues with it. Like, for example, I mean, by this point, the Guardian's cast is huge. Like, there's about ten of them. You know, there's Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, Nebula... Um, Mantis, Groot, Rocket, Kraglin, Cosmo, Adam Warlock. There's a lot of characters in the film. I, I, I don't necessarily, you know, they all live as well. I don't necessarily want anyone to die, necessarily. You know, I don't, I don't think characters should always die. But then at the same time, there's like fake out deaths in this. With, like, Drax, for example. Like, Drax gets shot and kind of badly wounded, but then just survives and goes on with stuff. And survives almost effortlessly. Drax is a bit annoying in some aspects of this, to be honest. Um, and, and how easily Mantis seems to be manipulated by him as well is also really annoying. Especially because... It seems to go back almost on some of the development from the holiday special between them. So yeah, that was that was irritating as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think like Drax necessarily. I don't want necessarily want Drax to die. Don't get me wrong. I really don't. I like the character of Drax. But Drax's whole role seemed to have been designed to fight Thanos. Thanos is gone. Drax didn't fight him. 
what does Drax have left? Drax getting a big heroic sacrifice death would fit, would make sense. Especially if it also then, if he did it to save the others, you know, who he's always kind of been a bit more distant with and a bit more aloof with, especially someone like Rocket, who's done nothing but kind of pick and bully, uh, you know, pick on and bully for the past few films. That would be a really interesting story, I think, and a really good way for the character to go, especially because Dave Bautista apparently doesn't want to do the role anymore, especially if James Gunn's not involved. You know, Bautista has actually turned around and said he does not want to play Drax anymore. As a result, I think I, along with most other people, were expecting that Drax would not make it to the end of this film. No, he does. Yeah, there's just so many decisions in here that I just question. And I know some of it is like, well, it's not where I would have done with the characters. Um... And that's fine, they're not my characters. I don't get to do things with them. You know, these are... The characters originated by James Gunn. This is clearly where he wanted to take the story. Fine. And I think it works well for what it's trying to do. There's just some things that I think... Why have you gone with that decision? You know, like, I'm, I'm questioning why James Gunn as a filmmaker has gone with some of the decisions he has. Especially knowing what we know beyond just what's in the film. Like, Dave Bautista doesn't want to play Drax anymore. Drax's story is over at the end of this movie, regardless. You know, you can let the character ride off into the sunset, but the character is never going to come back because the actor's not going to come back. So, why keep him alive? Why have him ride off into the sunset like that? What's he riding off for? Who's he going with? You know, what's the point? Why are you teasing this possibility of a relationship between Quill and Nebula? Because I don't think anyone wants that, so why tease it? Why why raise it as a possibility? Why have this Gamora be so antagonistic? To the point that she feels like a different character. Why have the high evolutionary blow up a planet? Why have the high evolutionary scream and lose control so much and have these outbursts? You know, when you're also trying to portray him as aloof and callous the rest of the time. You know... If the whole film is about Rocket and we're trying to focus on his story and care about him and what happens to him, why have him be sidelined for most of the film? This is the thing. I don't think any of it makes it a bad film. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't. But as good as this film is and as much praise as I think it is deserving of, there's still so much that's just on my mind after watching it to the point I'm sat here thinking about it and I've got these questions that I don't feel like I have answers for. And that becomes slightly infuriating because it's like, well, why 
has this been done? Why has this decision been made by the filmmakers? What am I meant? What what are the filmmakers trying to make me feel and think? Because at the end of the day, that's what any film, any story is trying to do. It's trying to make you think something and feel something. If I'm sat here questioning why this decision has been done, all it does is take me out of the film. It takes me out of the experience. And that is the bit that doesn't work for me. Because as good as this film is, and as absorbed as I was by it, little niggly things while I was watching it took me out of the experience. And for that reason, I don't think it's as good as everyone else does. I was not as absorbed by this in the same way that I was with a lot of other Marvel movies. Even some of the worst ones have absorbed me more than this, because in this, I'm sat here and I'm questioning, going, why have they done that? Whether that's me changing and evolving as I'm taking a more critical eye on things, I don't know. Is this going to impact future movies for me? Yeah, probably. You know, is it anything you've noticed? I'd love to hear thoughts and feedback. You know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just weird. <laughs> you know, maybe my brain just decided to toy with me the day I was watching it. Or, yeah, but I, I try to stay away from everything about this. Any spoilers, any story threads, everything. So I could go in completely blind. Well, I'd, I'd seen the first few trailers and I, I knew that all the Guardians survived. That was it. I tried to stay away from everything else. But yeah, I don't know. Bits just took me out of it, which is a shame because I really wanted to love it. And for the most part, I did. I did love it. Like, my criticisms are not saying this is a bad movie. It's a very, very good film. James Gunn is a terrific filmmaker. This film is brilliant. These actors are amazing. It's really well written, well directed, well shot. But there's just these niggly things. So, yeah, that's my review of volume three um, of Guardians of the Galaxy perhaps a bit disjointed um, but yeah there's, like I said it's a good film but there's a lot of times where I find myself questioning the intent of the filmmakers and what exactly they're trying to achieve and you know especially as it's the trilogy you know, it's it's the third part of a trilogy. It's supposed to be concluding these stories, and yet so many parts of it just feel at odds with everything we've had before. So, but yeah, um, feel free to scream at me in the comments or, or over Messenger or Discord or anything else where you're like, yeah, you know, if you completely wholeheartedly disagree with me. Um, but obviously, I'd rather have just nice, polite discussion. Um, because chances are we probably still agree that it's a, it's a great film. Um, but yeah, I just have these issues with it. So yeah, um, lovely to be with you guys all again. Um, you all take care in the meantime. Look after your physical and mental health. And I'll speak to you again soon.
Thank you, my friends, for once again joining me on Gardo Goes Geek. Your continued support for this podcast means the absolute world to me, and I am grateful for every single one of you who stays and listens to one of my episodes. It means the absolute world. Now, if you would like to engage more with me or the podcast, we have a Discord community, small but growing, and... And we now have commissions open on Ko-Fi. So if there's a topic you would like to see me cover, you can pay me to cover it. All funds will be used for legal purchase of the relevant items where I do not have them. Have a look on the link tree for more information. Until next time, look after yourselves. Thank you.